You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Well, welcome to those online and on campus, Sienna Cypress downtown in the loop as well. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn to Song of Songs in the Old Testament, and we are going to wrap up this book of the Bible. It's been an amazing, amazing journey through this book. I've loved how poetic it is. I love how passionate it is. I love the romance in it. It's so amazing to see attraction, to see dating, to see wedding, to see intimacy, to see conflict even. And now we're going to see them right off into the sunset, happily ever after, so to speak, with their hearts together as they've grown old together. And so the message is entitled Keys to a Lasting Love. How do we have a lasting love? Now, as we've gone through the Song of Songs, there's some that are looking back on a lasting love. And their loved one, their spouse has stepped into heaven, is with the Lord right now, which is wonderful. There's some that right now, they're in the midst of marriage, and there's applicable stuff. Every week, we're having application to be able to put into our lives because we're married. There's some that are single, and they're looking forward, possibly, to saying, I want to be married one day, and I'm going to be able to apply this one day. And so you're just putting this back. You're filing this away to put this together in your heart. It's been great to get some of the responses that I've had from this. Some have said, man, this has been just amazing. And then some have said, man, I don't, I'm ready for this thing to end. This is uncomfortable. Every Sunday I'm squirming in my chair to be able to hear all these things talked about. Um, but one that I thought was really cute is uh, the mom, a mom was driving away. She told me and my wife this from church. And she said to her little one, a uh, little guy, and she said, well, what did you learn today at church? And he said, Mommy, I've learned that you are beautiful and your nose looks like the Eiffel Tower. That's what it is. So the Eiffel Tower is not quite in here, but we have been journeying through this book. We have been learning. It's been great. And it's so awesome that we're able to talk about these things from a godly perspective. That's what's amazing. I want you to listen to this quote as we kick off from one of the commentators, biblical commentators. It says this, in a world awash with the debris of broken homes, crushed spirits, and fractured dreams, God's people need the message of the Song of Solomon as never before. The song is a righteous antidote to a licentious society that has prostituted the sacred nature of human love. Hope exudes from its pages. If ever a book was written with a message more salient for today's generation, Solomon's Ode is that book. So we need to hear this because there's such confusion about intimacy, such confusion about marriage, such confusion about so many things in this relationships that we're talking about. We need to come back and to realize God gives us an entire book of the Bible. Now he gives us many other places, but an entire book of the Bible that he says, I want you to hear the beauty of my plan for intimacy, the beauty of my plan for relationships, the beauty of my plan between a man and a woman in holy matrimony for life. That's the template God gives us. And he's giving us the beauty of that plan. Now, it's a hard book to understand, but let's jump in. We're gonna take it verse by verse. We're gonna end up at the end of the chapter. We're gonna end up at the end of the book even. Chapter eight, verse five is where we're gonna be. And I'm just gonna give you one verse and then we're gonna jump in a little bit further with a couple more, then a few more, but let's just go through it. Here's what it says in chapter eight of Song of Songs, or also called Song of Solomon. Verse 5, 
The young women, so this is her gal pals, young women say, who is this coming out from the wilderness, coming up from the wilderness, underlying wilderness, leaning on the one she loves? Then the woman says, I awakened you, speaking to her husband, I awakened you under the apricot tree. There your mother conceived you, and there she conceived and gave you birth. Look at the beginning of verse 5. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on the one she loves? The first thing, the first key of a lasting love is lean on me. You know the song, you can sing it in your head right now. Lean on me when you're not strong. Lean on me. And it goes on and on with the song. So lean on me. And she comes out from the wilderness and she's leaning on her husband. The first thing of an everlasting love, of a key to an everlasting love, is that there would be a leaning on one another. See, marriage is not independence, it's dependence. And so it's leaning on her, it's leaning on him. It's that mutual support that they are journeying together for strength and support from one another. Now, here's what's interesting. It says they're coming out of the wilderness. How would a Jewish person of this day equate wilderness? They would have thought about the exodus with Moses in 40 years of going through the wilderness. That's what they would have thought about in reading this as a Jewish audience. So what they would read this is, she's coming out of a trial, leaning on her husband. And the women say, who is this? Her gal pals don't even recognize her because his love has so transformed her. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that an incredible way to start? There's been a leaning on each other for a longevity relationships as we've celebrated at all campuses this morning to celebrate that and to lean on one another and to say coming out of the wilderness I want you to know you're going to be tested in life and you will for sure be tested in marriage you'll be tested in how you handle money you'll be tested in how you parent you'll be tested in how you fight you'll be tested on how you buy things you'll be tested on the way that you do life you'll be tested in intimacy you'll be tested in selfishness you'll be tested in kindness you will go through tests I love what Martin Luther says he said a man can become more like Christ in marriage than in a monastery that's from the 1500s A man or a woman can become more like Christ in marriage than in a monastery because there's a leaning on, there's a testing in the wilderness. And here's what you want. You want those trials to push you closer together, not to wedge in between you and to pull you apart. So you've got to push closer together. No one's more for you than your spouse. Now, it's an amazing thing when you think about this, the relationship that we have is the church is the bride, Jesus is the groom, and we are to lean on Christ in the midst of our trials as well. Do you see the illustration? So she's leaning on him just as we are to lean on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to what Charles Spurge and the great famous Prince of Preachers said it like this. He did a whole message on this one verse. He said, beloved, there is no part of the pilgrimage of a saint in which he can afford to walk in any other way but the way of leaning. He cometh up at first, he cometh up at last, still leaning, still leaning on Christ, leaning more and more heavily upon Christ as he grows older. The stronger the believer becomes, the more conscious he is of his personal weakness. And therefore, the more fully does he cast himself upon the Lord and lean with great force on him. 
As for you, men and women of business, you with families in your shops, in your fields, in your enterprises, you will find it a poor living unless you ever more lean on your Savior in all things. Reminds me of that old great hymn, hymn, Leaning on the Promises of God. That here we are leaning upon this. We've got to admit we can't do it alone. We have to admit we can't make it by ourselves. We have to admit that we need one another, that we are dependent upon one another, that marriage isn't a ball and chain. It's actually a growing to make me a better person, to make her a better person, so the two can become one and be better together. Isn't that amazing? So she's leaning on him. They're so together in this older age, so to speak, that she's leaning on him coming out of the trials. Kelly and I had this phrase, we're around the, uh, different couples and we're around them when we leave, here's what we say and I want you to put this into your marriage. We'll leave a certain situation, we'll say, let's be like them. Particularly older couples, let's be like them. There's just couples, you just see them together, it's just their name and his name and her name just go together, don't they? I mean, you think about famous couples even, Romeo and Juliet, just go together. George and Barbara, just go together, don't they? Ricky and Lucy go together. Just makes sense. Will and Kate just seems to go together. For the students and younger crew, Justin and Haley Bieber just seem to go together. Hopefully they'll make it all the way through. But to be able to see these names go together, let your names be like that so that we can lean on each other. Now look at what happens in verse six. Verse six and seven. Set me as a seal on your heart and is a seal on your arm. Notice heart, notice arm. For love is stronger than death, and jealousy is unrelenting as Sheol, meaning the place of the dead. Love's flames are fiery flames, an almighty flame. A huge torrent cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Isn't this beautiful? If a man were to give all of his wealth for love, it would be utterly scorned. So here we have the second thing, a key that we have, that will have a lot of keys underneath it, is love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. So what's our second key to a lasting love? It's to love each other deeply. Now, how that's going to break out is, number one, to be wholeheartedly committed. That's what we see there. She says, set a seal on your heart. Set a seal on your heart and a set a seal on your arm. If you're writing notes, if you're taking notes, listen to the difference. A seal is a permanence. It's a seal on a diploma. It's a seal on an envelope. It's a seal on a piece of legislation. It's a seal of the United States. It means this is permanent. It means this is important. It means that this is really, really tops. And she says, set me as a seal on your heart inside and on your arm outside. On your heart inside with your affections and on your arm, what's your arm a symbol of? Of power. And on the outside with your strength. So he, she is saying to her husband, I want you to treasure me in your affections and I want you to care for me in your strength. Lasting love is a wholehearted commitment. It's emotions and it's action. How do we seal our relationships today? We seal it with a wedding ring, don't we? It's an outside commitment. It's saying to the world, this 
ring is a show on the outside that I belong to someone else and my affections have been given to someone else. So I encourage you, wear your wedding ring. If you can't find it, you lost it, buy another one. Get that thing on your finger. And to have that be an outside symbol to say, this is important. She is mine and I am hers. And we are Romeo and Juliet. We are George and Barbara. We are Ricky and Lucy. We are whoever you want to say. We are together. There's a beauty in this kind of love. There's, it says, that as it goes further, it says a seal. For love is as strong as death. Where do we get the phrase, until death do us part? Well, right here and also in Romans chapter seven, where it says a wife is not released from her husband until her husband dies. Romans chapter eight, it says that even neither life nor death will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Gives a whole other list of a whole lot of other things as well. So we're seeing that love is stronger than death, stronger than death. And there's a jealousy and there's a heart and there's all these things. So wholeheartedly committed, yes, and then also jealously protect your marriage. Jealously protect your marriage. It's more than just intimacy. It's more than just a a date night. It's a jealous protection of saying, not kind of crazy jealousy is not what I'm talking about, but wait, we're going to protect this thing. Here's the phrase. Better to be thought rude than interested. Marriage folks, remember this. Better to be thought rude than interested. You only flirt with one person, and that's your wife or your husband. You only bat your eye. You only dress for. You don't try to get, get the attention of anybody else. A few months ago, we did a whole thing on uh, um, the anatomy of an affair, on protecting your marriage. I'm staying away. We looked at Solomon in that, and he's going to actually be a very complex character, make a lot of mistakes after this book here. So jealously, biblical jealousy is a passion and a desire for someone else that tolerates no rivals. So it's a desire for someone else that tolerates no rivals. And so there is no intimate exchanges on Facebook. There's no little lunches for two. We have a church policy at our church. As a staff member, you cannot ride in the car with a person of the opposite sex. It's not your wife. We just, we're just not going to go to retreats together. We're not going to do that. Doesn't happen. We want to protect against that and jealously protect that to have a long-term vision of what it really means. Listen to C.S. Lewis on this. Love is distinct from being in love is not merely a feeling. It's a deep unity well-maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by the grace which both partners ask and receive from God. They cannot have this love for each other, even, they can have this love for each other, I should say, even in those moments when they don't like each other. As you love yourself, even when you don't like yourself. So he's saying, even in the dips, there's love, and that love keeps us founded. Henry Ford said it like this at his 50th anniversary with his wife. They said, what's your secret? He said, it's the same thing that I have, the secret in business. You follow the formula. They said, what's the formula? He only had the Model T or the, you know, if you want uh, a car, it was just the Model T, then the Model A. But he said this, only, only have one model. Only have one model. Same thing is true. 
Only have one model. That's your girl. That's your guy. You stick with them till death do us part. Have a long-term vision. Let me show you. I thought this was really cute. I want to show you the Guinness World Book of Records, the longest married couple that we could have was 86 years, 270 days, almost 87 years. Let me show you their picture. This is Herbert and Zelmira Fisher. They met when they were teenagers and were best friends in North Carolina, were married uh, in uh, 1924 in May, and they were married until he passed in 2011. 86, almost 87 years married. How incredible. They said the best uh, advice they received was respect, support, and communicate with each other. Be faithful, be honest, be true, and love each other with all your heart. Think of what they made it through, 1924. They made it through World War II. They made it through all civil rights stuff. They made it through Vietnam War. They made it through so much. Almost 87 years of marriage. Have a long-term vision, and that will protect your marriage. It's not about today. It's not about how cute she is or how about how cute he is at the office. It's about you and me staying the course for a long time and realizing it gets better and better and better as we love each other deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, how are we going to do that? We're going to trust God for help. Another key to marriage is trusting God for help. I want to draw your attention to verse 6 right there uh, at the, in verse 6. It says this, very end, loves flames or fiery flames. Okay, we get that. An almighty flame. Another way to say it is a blaze of the Lord. Trust God for help. The fire of God, you see it in Exodus chapter three, verse two and three. What is it? It's the burning bush with Moses, a bush that is not burned up. So this flame of God in marriage is not burned up. We see it as a pillar of fire in Exodus 13, verse 21, where the pillar of fire is leading them through the night. Sometimes it may feel like night in your marriage. We see it in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes and the church of the New Testament is born and there's tongues of fire dancing upon their heads. How amazing is that? And so he says, this is a blaze of God, a blaze of God. And then he values it rightly as we move along in Verse seven, it says a huge torrent cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were to give all his wealth for love, it would be utterly scorned. He values rightly. The more money you make doesn't mean the more love you have. You could be as rich as it is and as miserable in your heart. And you could be as poor as it is and be as gracious in your heart. And you can be rich and be gracious. It's awesome. It doesn't, not directly, you know, one or the other. I'm just telling you, it's, it's something that's deeper than the exterior. Remember when Kelly and I first got married, we had our, our house and I would come out of the back bedroom and I would have paid bills and she would ask me this every time. She'd say, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? And I would say this, it's going to be close. So I'd say every time, are we going to make it? It's going to be close. And you know what? The Lord would provide. I'd get another camp to speak at or another retreat to speak at or the Lord would provide in some way. We're so faithful as givers. We're so faithful in serving the Lord. We're faithful in all those things. But those moments in our marriage, I look back on them. There's such a sweet time though at that same moment where it's like all the money in the world doesn't matter because of the love that we have in our heart. We'd rather leftover pizza with love in our heart, right? Than the greatest feast there is but to be miserable. Proverbs speaks about that all the time. 
Better is little with a great home than much without a great home. Next, it says, walk purely and protectively. I want to explain this to you before we get to it. We're going to look in verses 8 through 10. Walk purely and protectively. We're going to have a little moment in these next two verses. It's going to be a flashback. So, Sienna, I want you to listen in Cyprus, downtown as well. It's going to be a flashback. What they're going to do is they're going to flash back to when she is a young girl, okay? And we're going to see her brother's protector. So what's the key to a lasting love? We're going to see that the family is protecting. Now, this isn't just applicable for marriage right now. This is now us looking as family, really in a parenting moment in this place. So I want you to understand it because it's a little bit odd, okay? We've had verses in this book of the Bible that are a little, little weird, but I just want us to go through it so we can see it. Look at verse 8, and this is going to be a flashback through verse 10. The brothers, her brothers are going to say, our sister is young and she has no breasts, so she is, she's a young girl. What, what will we do for our sister on the day that she is spoken for? That means a marriage age. Verse 9, if she is a wall, we will build a silver barricade on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with cedar planks. The woman then responds, I am a wall, meaning pure. My breasts are now like towers, of, of age to marry now. So in his eyes, I have become like one who finds peace, okay? Now, what does this mean? Parents, we are to protect and direct. That's what we do for our kids. Now, kids, I know you don't like that all the time, but we've got to protect and direct. That's a parent's role. So these brothers, we never hear about her mom and dad in this book, but we hear about her brothers. In chapter one, we hear about her brothers, and now in chapter eight, we hear about her brothers again. Her brothers say if she is a wall, meaning no guy is coming, then we're going to celebrate that. If she's a door, meaning come on in, sir, come on in, boyfriend after boyfriend after guy after guy, all that sort of thing, then we're going to build a protection and we're going to stop that because we're going to protect her and we're going to direct her. Now, let me say, students, I know you won't like this, but that is our role is to protect and direct you as, as your parent, okay? Now, where do we need to particularly be protecting and directing parents when it comes to sex, to intimacy, to purity? Where do we need to be particularly protecting and directing? In relationships and friendships that they have, who are their Friday night friends? Who are they hanging out with? Number two, the media and entertainment they are watching, because let me just tell you what, there is not, they're not thinking about your kid or my kid when they're making this stuff. They're thinking about money is what they're thinking about. And then number three, what they're being taught and what they're learning. That's why it's crucial for us to be teaching the Bible in church about intimacy so that they could hear it from their pastor, so that they could hear it at their church about what it means. If they're not going to hear it here, where are they going to hear it? They're going to hear it from another source that maybe doesn't have the Christian godly realm on it. So as parents, we're protecting relationships, we're protecting media and information that's coming and entertainment, and we're also protecting what they're learning and where they're hearing it. Because we want to them to understand that God's template is a man, is a woman, is a marriage that lasts for life. That's where sex has the blessing of God on it. Outside a man, a woman married for life is not God's blessing. And so here we have here God's template that is there. And so purely and 
protectively, God is saying, through these brothers, they're going to protect. It's a big brother, isn't it? Now, let me give you a quote on this that I think is, is, a, is just kind of a, a thought on this, which is pretty interesting. From a, the Enduring Word commentary, this presents a principle that is often overlooked in Western culture and is dangerously overemphasized in other parts of the world. That a family has a shared responsibility of, for the purity and romantic supervision of the young people of the family. Now, watch what happens when we're talking about the the blessing of God and the purity of it happening. We're going to see that she is going to look into his eyes and they're going to have a really special moment. Now, let me quickly say this. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I know that I'm not speaking to everybody that's been pure sexually before marriage. I want you to know there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. God can redeem you, God can forgive you, God can give you an amazing, amazing marriage even if you did not walk in purity. God can restore your marriage even in adultery. God can restore things that happen and he can do great things, he can bless a marriage, he can do amazing things. So I don't want you to just get the law, I want you to get the grace as well of Jesus. Do you receive that? Do you receive that? Now he's lifting up a high standard and any of you who look lustfully upon a woman, you've committed adultery that none of us have ever going to make perfectly. But that's why Jesus Christ was sent, so that we could receive Christ as our Savior and the gospel, we could lean on him and trust Jesus as our Savior. Next, verse 10, at the very end, it says, so his eyes have become like the one who finds peace. This is a really great thing. So in his eyes, I have become like the one who finds peace. She's saying, I've waited for him. Now we're together. And when he looks me in the eyes, I'm his peace. Is that beautiful? He looks her in the eyes and he finds his peace. Do you remember earlier, talked about her eyes were like doves, like peaceful doves. Here's what's great. He looks into his eyes and he finds his peace. Looks into her eyes and finds his peace. The name Solomon means peace. Watch this. In her eyes, he finds who he really is. Is that beautiful? Husbands, in her eyes, we find who we really are. Ladies, in his eyes, we find who we really are. What a beautiful, beautiful union that is of marriage. Are we there? No, but we're growing towards it. Sienna, Cyprus, downtown, we're moving in that way. And then we get to verse 11 and 12, or 11 uh, and 12 through 13 and, 13 and 14. Solomon owned a vineyard in Baal Haman and leased the vineyard to his tenants. Each was to bring fruit, 1,000 pieces of silver. I have my own vineyard. The 1,000 are for you, Solomon, but the 200 are for those who take care of its fruit. So they're saying there's a vineyard and we're going to give it to Solomon. She's saying, I'm a vineyard and I'm going to give you all that I have. And then it says, but take even 200 care of fruits. I wish this meant to double tithe, but it doesn't. So I can't really preach that, but that would be great. But to have your own vineyard, she says, I'm your vineyard and they're all for you. The 1,000 are for you. 
And so here I give all these things. Now, verse 13, watch how we're going to end up this whole thing. We're going to end up the book right here. I love when we get to the end of a book. The man says, you dwell in the gardens. Companions are listening to your voice. Let me hear you. Then the woman says, run away with me, my love, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spice. So here she is, and here he is, their last words. She says, you're the one for me, is what he says. I want to hear from you. Let's connect. And she says, run away with me. Here's what they say. Here's our last thing. And they lived happily ever after most of the time. And they lived most of the time happily ever after, okay? Romance is lived in real life. And I don't want you to end this book and go, and everything's great. Your marriage is not going to be everything's great. You are going to have a little tiff probably this week. You're going to want something and he's going to be in the way. You're going to want something and she's going to be in the way. You know, most of marriage is having the drawer you want to open being stood in front of by the person you're married to. That's basically what it is. You're always like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Pardon me, pardon me. I mean, it's always happening. There's always something But the keys to lasting love, if we will be wholehearted, if we'll jealously protect, if we'll love each other deeply, if we'll lean on each other, if we'll trust God that he's got a blaze of the Lord, we'll value rightly, we'll walk purely and protectively, then most of the time we're going to be happily ever after to be able to journey with that. I love what he says, you who dwell in the gardens, companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear you. I want to hear from you, the woman I love. Number verse 14, run away with me, my love, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spice. That's actually a very intimate phrase of saying that. And she says, run away with me. Let's be together. Let's be different than roommates. Let's be soulmates. Now, I've given you at the very bottom of your listening guide, and then I'm going to close with an illustration. Song of Solomon overview. If you need to remember this book, this is what you need to remember. It's the acronym of trust. Trust. T is for timing. Don't let love awaken before it's time, but then we see that it awakened in the right time in their marriage. Be responsive. Women responding to the man. Man, Men responding to the woman. Be united. Lean on one another. Be sincere. A lot of this book is compliments, but it's not manipulation. It's sincere compliments of the beauty of the woman, of the strength of the man. And then number, our last one, T, be tender. Don't work on intimacy in your marriage. Work on tenderness in your marriage and intimacy will follow. Trust is the foundation upon which we lay our marriages and our relationships. And isn't it also true? Trust is the foundation upon which we lean on Jesus Christ and we trust Christ to be our Savior and our Lord. Do you see it all come together? In a love relationship with God. A love relationship with God. Two things I want to tell you and we're done. Ed Sharon has a hit, hit song called Thinking Out Loud. And it says this, when my hair is all gone and my memory fades and the crowds don't remember my name, when my hands don't play the strings the same way, I know you will still love me the same because your soul can never grow old. It's evergreen and your smile is forever in my mind and in my memory. See, fall in love hundreds of times in your life. Just make sure it's with one person. Fall in love hundreds of times in your life. 
but make sure it's with one person, your wife, your husband. Give you this last illustration. I think this is so great. There was a couple, Norma and Gordon Yeager. She was 90, he was 94, and unfortunately in Iowa, they got into a car accident. And they were both taken to the hospital. And you can imagine a 90-year-old woman and a 94-year-old man in a car accident. That's not a good moment. So they're taken to the hospital and they're each in a different room and they kept asking each other, how's the other one? How's the other one? How's the other one? How's the other? And the kids were going back and forth till finally their children that were at the hospital said, can we just put them in the same room? And so they put them in the same room and there they were laying in hospital beds in the same room and they reached across and they held hands. They held hands. Now, unfortunately, the gentleman died as they were holding hands. And as they were holding hands and the wife was in the other bed and he was in this hospital bed and they were holding hands together, the children said to the nurse, but his heart monitor is still beating. You said he was dead. And they said, yes, we have checked his pulse. We have checked his heart. We have checked his breathing and he has stepped into eternity. And the nurse said, his heart monitor is beating with her heart beating through his hand and the heart monitor's picking it up. Her heart beat through him. And if it was the contrast, his heart would have beat through her because they were holding hands together. And then an hour later, she passed away. And the children said, as it should be, just as they wanted it, to be. They passed into eternity together. I submit to you this. Husbands, let her heart beat through you. Wives, let his heart beat through you. As, let's put this all into context, we both, husband and wife, hold the hand of Jesus the nailed scarred hand of Jesus. And what will happen is you will find, oh, let me wrap up the whole book for you. Can I give it to you in a nutshell? The heartbeat of Jesus Christ coming through a husband and a wife to be the heartbeat of marriage. And when Christ's heart beats through you, there's nothing that can stop you. Because it's a blaze of God. It's a river of God. It's a trust of God. It's not a selfishness of man. It's a crucifixion every single day to walk together, to be intimate with the Lord, to be intimate relationally with each other. Relationally then turns to, to intimate emotionally, socially, verbally, and even physically. And the world has taken the physical out and put it over here and tried to make it its own deal and it can't operate without all those other things. Let's walk with the heartbeat of God and then have a heart for our spouse. And then what will happen, as it says in the New Testament, our marriage will be a testimony of the marriage of Christ in his church. 
and they'll see Christ's love lived out in our love for each other. Is there forgiveness? Yes. Can God redeem even after divorce? Yes. Can God redeem even after a lack of purity before marriage? Yes, yes, yes. That is the heartbeat of Jesus to forgive, to wash clean, to rebuild. So you grab his nail-scarred hand. And as you grab his nail-scarred hand, then you'll be ready to grab her hand or his hand. And you just walk your life out like this. And that will be a marriage in heaven and a marriage on earth. Singles, you walk with God like this and you trust him to provide. And those that you're looking back on those days, you thank God you had them. And then he gave you that spouse as a good gift. And you walk with Jesus. That, my friend, is not just a song. It's the song of all songs. So that we fall in love with the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray that we can make application for these things, that we could trust you in our life and our heart. God, I pray, Father, for marriages in this room, that they would trust you, God. Pray for singles in Cyprus and Siena and downtown and marriage as well, but singles, Lord, that they would trust you, God. They'd hold your hand those that have made mistakes, God, would forgiveness be the theme of this message for them. None of us are perfect. For those that are widows and widowers with a tear in their eye, the gratitude in their heart, they just whisper, thank you for the time you gave them. May we walk with you, Lord, in a world littered with lies and deception and shattered lives that you've got a plan and it's good and it's filled with life and blessing thank you God what'd you hear today what did you hear from the Lord today respond back to him and say I heard you Help me. At all campuses, let's turn to worship. Siena, Cyprus, downtown, Loop, Digital Family. Let's worship this Christ with a nail-scarred hand that we're holding. And respond to him. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at the Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.